0: Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. You're probably starting to get used to turning there um, because we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' greatest sermon ever. I guess all his sermons would be the greatest sermon ever, right? But this is the longest one we have from Jesus, and it's in Matthew 5 through 7. This is our third week, Um, and as you're turning there, I kind of did this last week. I dished a little bit about the school I grew up in, and I'm going to to do a little bit more tonight. Um, How many of you, this picture of a school locker kind of resonates with you because maybe not this year, maybe this year, but at some point your lockers kind of looked like this. Be honest, this is church. You can't lie in church. Like your, your lockers looked a little bit like this. This was the general condition of my locker most of my time in high school. And I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. Like I bring a lunch and it's my backup lunch. Because I don't know what's, you know, I, at that point, like, I didn't have the little menu where they tell you what's going to be served at school. So, I didn't know what was going to be served at school. So, I always had a ham sandwich in a brown bag, like, just in case it was, like, beefaroni or something just disgusting like that that they pretty much serve out of a toilet bowl. So, um, anybody else, like, the whole beefaroni thing, you just can't deal with it? You know what I mean? Anyway. Um, so, you know, sometimes what would happen is I'd hear what the lunch was in the morning. Feels like pizza pizza rolls, something like that. Like, I'm going to file this ham sandwich away for the next day. Um, well, you know what happens. You know where this is going, right? That ham sandwich in the, the brown bag kind of made its way underneath some of my books. And after about a week, I just forgot it was in there. And there was this nice, tidy stack of books kind of stacked in my locker. And I forgot that underneath it was a ham sandwich. It's not a ham sandwich. Sandwich, right? A ham, there was a ham sandwich that was, I don't know what you would call it, decomposing in real time. And you know what starts happening when things decompose? There starts to be kind of like an odor, right? It kind of smells somewhat like your little brother. And, um, and, and that there, was start, there started to be an odor in the hallway that we were in. And right next to my hallway was the science lab where this one particular teacher named Mr. Jolliker spent most of his time. And he was starting to get a little upset about the fact that the hallway was smelling. So he kept getting on us, telling us when he to clean our lockers out, and we're like, yeah, you know, we'll get to it. Because it was all guys in that hallway. And then eventually he had it one day. And he just, he made us all open our lockers and take everything out of our lockers. And by the time I'd got to the bottom of what was in my locker, the bag was beginning to turn green. I guess it had been there for like almost most of the, you know, like almost half the school year. So... He was really getting on me. If you, if you know the guy, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he was just kinda, kinda really, you give me a hard time. So I was like, listen, it's not that bad. So he, he, kinda, yeah, he kinda called me out on it. We were next to the science lab, so he started taking some of the matter from this and looking at it under a microscope. And we found living organisms on this bag that was underneath all the books in my locker and that was the source of the smell. So tonight, we're going to be talking about something as we go through this greatest sermon ever, um, that often in people's lives, in the lives of Christians and in the lives of unbelievers, is one of those things that can get covered up by all kinds of pretty books and all kinds of pretty things, but underneath, there is something rotten. To use a big word, there is something fetid. Anybody ever heard that word before? There is, it's a vocabulary word, right? There is something fetid underneath, underneath those books. Um, Tonight, what we're going to be talking about, and I don't know if you talked about it a little bit in tag or you were warned about this in tag, we're going to be talking about um, the subject of lust. And you say, Matt, why are we talking about this in student ministry at church? Well, it's pretty simple because Jesus talked about it. Say, Matt, wouldn't this be better, like, maybe to talk about, like, when we're adults? Well, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, most of us, most scholars believe, and there's good reason to believe, because other sermons that Jesus preached on mountainsides were to mixed audiences that involved kids, young adults, and adults. So when Jesus gave this sermon in this little section that we're going to read. Remember, be thinking as we're reading through this, Jesus didn't just give this to old crotchety, you know, 60-year-old guys and, 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 and girls, like old old people. He gave it to people your age. He gave it to guys and girls. He was speaking to everyone. So the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to turn there, and as, as yeah, I think you're, hopefully you're already there, you have it up on your phones, um, this is Jesus' greatest sermon ever. Some of the themes that Jesus preached through here come back to what it means to actually repent, actually actually turn from what the world has for you and embrace the life that Jesus has. It's the way to happiness. Jesus starts out with an invitation to a happy life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. This is following Jesus' greatest sermon ever is the way to a, literally, the word means happy life. When we look through this, we also see that this is Jesus laying out, this is what righteousness is. This is what the righteousness that it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven is. So Jesus is calling people, remember we talked about last week, to a a high standard. Last week we were in um, verses 20, coming up to verses 26, and we talked about how Jesus set up a pattern here. Remember Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. There's this Old Testament that the, that the Jewish people were following, they're like, Jesus, you're telling us new things, does that mean we don't have to do the old thing? And Jesus was saying, no, I came to fulfill the law, I came to, 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 to bring it to fruition. And Jesus starts explaining what that means. He gets to the, not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. And he says this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, the, the religious teachers and scribes and scholars, unless your, your, your righteousness, your, your right living exceeds that, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus starts this pattern. He says, you've heard it said. And he gives a passage. He gives a a, a teaching from the Old Testament. He also gives kind of the the interpretation that most people had taken from that passage. And he says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you, I say to you, here's the fulfillment of the law. Here's what it really means. Here's the heart of the law. Not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. Last week, we applied that to anger, didn't we? We talked about anger, how Jesus says, it's one thing not to kill somebody. Remember, we talked about Refuel, murder-free since 2012. Like, every, yeah, it's every, 2011. Ever since we've been, I'm proud to announce we've been murder-free. But then what we realize is there may have been a few murders at Refuel. Because Jesus says this, murder isn't just a, an attitude, it's not just a thing you do. <laughs> it's not just slicing and dicing. There's an attitude of the heart to it. The way that we talk to others and the, the, the way that we feel towards others and the things that we think toward others. Jesus takes that same idea and applies it to this issue of lust. And before we get into it, I, I want to give a little disclaimer. And here's the disclaimer. This is a sensitive t- topic, right? This is an issue that maybe makes some people feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to make a little contract with you as we start. The first thing that I'm going to promise to you is that I'm just going to go right through line by line what Jesus says. I'm not gonna add my own interpretation. I'm not gonna add my own illustrations. We don't need illustrations. We need God's truth, right? But the second thing that I'm asking you to do in return is to take this seriously. Sometimes when we talk about awkward topics, we get a little squirmy. You know, we, we try to deflect our attention from the conviction we're feeling in our heart or the awkwardness that we're experiencing. So we, we, we talk to somebody next to us or we get, in, get out and fidget with something or, 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 or do something to distract us from the truth. But what we need tonight is the truth. Um, so as we're in Matthew chapter 5, I want to ask you this question before we read. I talked about what was at the bottom of my locker physically. What's at the bottom of your locker spiritually? Spiritually. There may be some things that you're struggling with and you're dealing with that your parents don't know about, your friends don't know about, your youth leaders don't know about. But if it was just you and God, and it is, what's at the bottom of your locker, spiritually speaking? So now, let's read these four little verses in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if you, your right eye causes you to, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna, we're gonna dig in. God, I pray that you'll give, us, you'll give us just the ability to pay attention, that your Holy Spirit, uh, through the reading of your word, and as we talk about it, as we meditate on it now, uh, God, that your Holy Spirit will, will illuminate us to really understand what you're saying here. It'll also illuminate us, Lord, to see what in our lives we're hiding, what in our lives we need to change. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus talks about this concept, this idea. It's not a concept. It's an experience. It's a thing. It's lust. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. <laughs> it's one of the big 10, right? It's in the 10 commandments. Don't commit adultery. But he takes it deeper, right? And he says, if anyone looks on someone else, if a man looks at a woman with lustful intention, he's committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus takes this, take, takes this truth to not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. What do we learn about lust? There's Four, um, I guess you could say truths that we're going to learn about lust tonight. They all start with a D. And we're just going to jump in because I don't know how else to do it. You ready? You ready? We're going to jump in. Look at the person next to you and say, we're going to jump in. Okay? Okay, I was just making sure you're with me. The first truth about lust that we learn is the deed. I don't know how else to say it, and I don't know how else to describe it, and I have all D words, so there it is, the deed. Let's, let's look at what is Jesus saying here. He says, I'm going to pull up the verse here. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Most of us, I think, know what that means. It means when a, a husband cheats on a wife or a wife cheats on a husband. That's the way that we understand adultery to be in our, our, our day and age, in our context. But the, the way the Bible was written and the words that Jesus originally spoke, and yeah, for all you nerds in Aramaic that were translated into Greek when they were written, this word carries more than the idea of just two married people breaking their vows to each other. This word can mean any kind of immorality or really any kind of sex, I should say, outside of marriage. The words everyone and the words woman, I'll underline it here, also explain that this is not just a guy problem, this is not just a girl problem, this is an everyone problem. This is something that everyone is responsible for under God's law and under God's command is that we should be moral and holy and pure people this isn't the point of the lesson tonight we usually do a lesson later closer to prom season when we talk about this in detail by the way Pastor Lemming's going to be preaching on 1 Corinthians 6 on Sunday so if you want more information on this come to church on Sunday that's a great plug for Sunday morning church but, but he, he, here's what it comes down to believers are com- I wanted to write some of this down so I made sure I didn't stray believers are commanded in the strongest possible terms to flee sexual immorality why is that? because it's dangerous because it's damaging because it's destructive we're going to talk more about that here in a minute but maybe you've been a part of a family that's been torn apart by adultery and the family that was is no longer maybe you've been in a situation where you compromised in this area with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and then they dumped you and you you feel like you gave a piece of yourself to someone else and they threw it on the floor and trampled it You know how destructive it can be to live outside of God's plan for a man and a woman in a marriage together. So that's the deed. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, well... Adultery is the same as lusting after someone in your heart. It's kind of the same thing. If if you're lusting in your heart, you're already doing the same thing. So you might as well already go and finish the deed more or less. That's not what Jesus is saying. The impact of immorality, the impact of, of, of adultery is high and it's costly. So this is not an out. You still with me? Okay, I can tell it's getting awkward. So we're gonna keep going. The first truth about lust is the deed. This is something that Jesus describes. He's not saying that this is no longer important. He's saying this is vitally important, but then he takes the next step and goes to the desire. Let's break the verse down. Here's what Jesus says. I'm gonna find a new color here to underline with. Jesus says, if, I say to you, if everyone, looks at a wo- everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, Here's something I wanted to kind of show and highlight because this is something that we're bombarded with. Look at the contrast. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Do you see the contrast here? I want to be careful the way I use my words here, but you are being bombarded with what the world tells you and how the world tells you you're supposed to feel about things dealing with lust. I mean, you can't help it. you scroll on TikTok and there it is. You're going through your Instagram stories and there it is. You are receiving a message outside of God's design about sexual immorality and about lust. Jesus says, you've heard it said... But I say to you, the question that you're going to have to decide right now, an answer to right now, is are you going to go with what you've heard said or are you going to go with what Jesus says about this? Like, are you going to go with what creation says about this or are you going to go with what the creator says about it? It's right down to that. So you're at a fork in the road. Before we go any further, you're going to have to decide right now. In your mind, I'm going to give you like two seconds. One, two, decide. Are you, going to hear, are you going to take what Jesus says or are you going to take what you heard said? So now that we've done that, let's move on. Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. We're going to do a little, I know it's right before spring break. We're going to do a little nerd work. Where are my nerds at? It's hard to be a nerd right now before spring break. I mean, it's really like, it's, it's really hard. Nobody wants to do any kind of nerd work right now. But I, let me do it just for a second because we're going to talk. <laughs> There's an evil spirit in the building. Uh, <laughs> uh, somebody has telepathy. Um, anyway, we're going to do a little work here and explain what does Jesus mean by this? Because this is important, right? Because this is a serious sin, right? That it, it's possible that we are that people are committing adultery in their heart through their desire. So, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, there are two words that we're going to look at. No pun intended, because the first word is "look," and then the second word is "lustful intent." This word for "look" can mean several different things that help us understand what it really means. It's the word "blepo," and it means to continuously. look. It's not a passing glance. It's not something that just comes in front of you. It's not like something you didn't mean to see. It's a purposeful, continuous look. This word can mean to behold, to turn one's thoughts to a thing, and to look at continuously. The next word, lustful intent, can mean this. It can mean to desire and to long for. So, this word could kind of mean for the purpose of lusting. So, when we put this all together, when we put this all together, it reads kind of like this, that everyone who looks at someone... For the purpose of lusting has already committed adultery in their hearts. So I've put together a little definition for you that maybe you can use a working definition of lust. It was the most PG and tried to make it the most faithful to what Jesus said definition I could find. And this is it. Lust is looking at someone else's body with sinful desires in the way that Jesus describes it here. Lust doesn't mean temptation. Jesus was tempted at all points yet did not sin. Hebrews 4.15 Lust doesn't mean attraction. You can be attracted to someone without lusting. Hey man, Musgrave's outfits are always on point. I mean, he's he, he's always got the fit, and he's a you're a good looking man. Okay, it's not a it's not a sin to find somebody to be attractive. It's I, I wasn't saying that I find Jordan attractive, by the way. Maybe that illustration didn't work the way I thought it would. I love you, brother. But here's what it means. Here's what it means. Because I think often we think, of, we, we think of it to be something that it's not. It's looking at someone else's body with sinful desires. But here's the thing. Doesn't it seem like our world, the media we consume, the, the places we go, the, everything is perfectly set up for this to happen? Have you noticed that? Like commercials, social media, everything comes back to feeding. People use this as a way to try to sell their product. Like every commercial you see just about is trying to use it to sell their product. So this is something that is not just theoretical. This is something that everybody deals with quite often. So that's the desire. I hope I was clear and I hope I was careful with that. But you know what he says? What Jesus is saying here is that no one accidentally lusts. Like it's not, oops, I lusted. (laughs) Don't make that the little um, cutout from the sermon that you put on Instagram. Nobody accidentally lusts. When does the sin happen? When the heart decides to tell the eyes to look. You notice that Jesus says here, someone who looks at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. And do you notice where Jesus places the responsibility? I wanted to make sure I said this right, so I wrote it down too. Jesus places the responsibility on the one who's looking, not the one who's being looked at. I'm going to say that again. Jesus places the responsibility on the one who's looking, not the one who's being looked at. In our sexually saturated culture, it's easy for us to say, well, if people wouldn't dress that way, if people wouldn't do that, if people wouldn't do that, I wouldn't struggle. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says we're responsible for what we do with our eyes. We're responsible for what goes on in our mind. We're responsible for the attitudes in our hearts. So that's that's the desire. And now we're going to go to the danger. Why is Jesus so intense about that? Because you read the last two verses, right? (laughs) Jesus says, like, if you're struggling with this, it's better for you to gouge your eye out or cut your arm off than to continue to struggle. I mean, that's pretty intense. We'll talk about that here in a second before you, nobody get your pocket knife out just yet, okay? But we're gonna talk about that here in a second. But why is Jesus so intense here? It's because there's danger in this. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6 verse 18 talks about the physical danger of sexual immorality. It talks about how sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You know researchers have linked pornography to depression, antisocial personality disorder, and brain composition changes that are similar to the effect of opioids. You think it's harmless? That's why Jesus is so intense. There's a relational danger. Proverbs chapter 6, actually Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 talk about how immorality destroys relationships. James 4, 1 and 2 talk about that not just in the context of of, of lust in in the physical kind. It talks about money and other things, but it's part of it. It says, where do wars and fights, where does drama come among you? Don't they come from your desires for pleasure? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. It affects the way that we relate to other people. 56% of divorces in America involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography. It's directly linked to human trafficking and its users are more likely to commit assault-related re- crimes. Lust doesn't just affect you. It affects others. There's a spiritual danger. What happened to Joseph? In Genesis chapter 39, when he was being seduced by Potiphar's wife to be immoral, he said, how can I sin against God? It's not just a sin that affects ourselves, and it's not just a sin that affects others, it's a sin that affects our relationship with God. So much so, so that a guy named David, who really struggled in this area, if you've read, the, if you've read, uh, if you've read 2 Samuel, said this, about how his immorality destroyed his fellowship with God for a season. He said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If you read his prayer in Psalm 51, he's pleading to God, God, forgive me of my sin, this sin of lust and the sin of immorality, because I want to have the joy of my salvation restored to, you, to me. This sin, lust, affects our fellowship with God, our being able to enjoy our Christian walk with God. And you, eventually it affects our eternal, our eternal destiny. Lust is a sin and what does sin do? It separates us from God eternally. It puts on us a debt that we owe that is only payable by a sacrifice of our lives forever in a place called hell. There's an eternal danger. That's why Jesus says Better to lose an eye or better to lose an arm than lose your body and lose your soul forever in a place called hell. This is a dangerous thing. It affects you. It affects others. It affects your relationship with God and it affects your eternal destiny. You may say, wow Matt, this is so encouraging. I'm so glad I came to refuel. Well, the final D word is actually very encouraging. The deliverance. One of the interesting things about um, the Sermon on the Mount is a lot of people try to figure out, well, how are we supposed to take this as Christians in 2023? How are we supposed to apply this to our lives? Well, you know, there's debate about whether this, you know, Jesus gave this sermon for the church or for Israel. Um, but what we, everybody does, everybody agrees on, no matter what you know, strand of theology you're on, is that this is to be applied by the church today. This is to be applied by Christians today. And one of the things that this sermon that Jesus gives, it, it, it helps us understand is that we can never be good enough to get into the kingdom of God on our own. I wrote it down like this. The first step to deliverance is to realize we can't deliver ourselves from this issue. That word, let's get back to, let's get back to the text here. That word, oh, I'm running out of colors. What color should I use? We'll use purple. Hey, we're right on. Um uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, that's, that's, that's a word. It, it's the word that we get scandal from, a scandalizo, but it has to do with setting a trap. If your eye traps you, if your hand traps you in this sin, this is the main point. Your self-righteousness is not good enough. Your problem is way too deep for your self-righteousness to save you. A lot of people think that they can beat lust by creating a checklist. I don't go here. I don't go on this website. I don't do this with my phone. And those can be helpful things. I'm not downing those things. But that's not going to deliver you from the root problem in your heart. You need Jesus to deliver you from the root problem in your heart. All of these things that we're gonna see, we're gonna see next week, we're gonna be talking about about, about oaths and keeping our word, how we can never live up to God's standards in that, and loving our enemies, how we never live up to God's standard in that. We need a savior, we need to deliver. That's what this is pointing us to. We can't deliver ourselves. Remember last, you may, you may not remember this, but I talked about it last week. There are two things you need to remember as we go through this sermon. You need to remember the sun factor and the spirit factor. That's S-O-N, the sun factor and the spirit factor. Look at the sun factor when it comes to deliverance. Look what Jesus did for us. I love 1 John chapter one. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about how if we walk in the light as Jesus, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. David prayed it this way. He said, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There is something about this particular sin. All sin is bad, but there's something about this particular sin that just feels dirty. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, just talking about it tonight is awkward because it just feels so dirty. Have you ever messed up in a way that you just feel like you could never get yourself clean? You know, one of the things that was always difficult for me growing up was that I was a pastor's kid. So it was like, I felt like I lived my life in a fishbowl. Like in everything I did, not only did I have to deal with, my parents had to deal with like, I had like a hundred parents in the church telling me what I should do. So when I messed up, I messed up in this way that everybody knew about. And I could never fix what I did because everybody knows what I did. But I had to come to the realization that it's really not about what I did. We give too much credit to our sin and not enough credit to our savior. Because the question is not how much have you sinned or how dirty have you become? The question is, is the blood of Jesus Christ powerful enough to clean you? And the answer is yes. That there is deliverance through the Son, but there's deliverance through the Holy Spirit. You know what happens the moment that you believe in Jesus? I mean, a million things happen. Like we could spend a whole, we could do a whole sermon series. All the things that happen, when you believed in Jesus. But this is one of the things that happened. The Holy Spirit moves in inside. He takes up residence. Yeah, that's an old man way of saying it. He, he takes up residence in you. He, he, he moves into your life. And he lives in you. And this is what the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, or 8, 1 and 2. There is now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. We need to say that again. I'm going to rewind. Has set you free. I'm gonna do it one time just for emphasis. That's my rewind. Has set you free. The law of the spirit of your of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here's the difference. You can't deliver yourself, but when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to make right decisions. He gives you the power to overcome something even as addictive as lust or pornography. Jesus, when he saved you, gave you the Holy Spirit and you have the power, it's not your power, it's God's power, but you have the power to say no. You have the power to look away. So what's at the bottom of your locker? This could be awkward for two reasons, just because you hear your youth pastor talking about it, but the second reason could be because there's stuff in your life that you're dealing with that is very similar to what Jesus was talking about. What do we do? I'm happy to tell you that I'm not usually on time, but I'm on time, and we have time for our application points tonight. And for those of you that have been keeping track of of the the F-word count for refuel this year, um, I think we're... Bella's not here. She was keeping the, the, keeping the count. But I've got five F-words for you tonight. So I, I put it down like this. Five F-words to pulverize lust. Here's the first one. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. Isn't it interesting that God tells us to resist the devil? But flee sexual immorality. That should tell us how dangerous and how powerful it is. What a a threat it is to our spiritual life. You need to flee. Maybe you're in a a situation where someone is pressuring you to compromise in this area. Call your parents. I promise you, you say, my boyfriend is trying to get me to compromise. Your dad will show up. Probably a little disheveled. But he'll be there. If you can't get a hold of your parents, call me and I will show up with April and a Glock and we will get you out of that situation, okay? Flee. Maybe April will have the Glock, I don't know. Uh, she's pretty good shot. The next step word, formalize. This is, this is a little gem of a verse in the book of Job. It's the oldest book of the Bible which tells you how old this issue is. Job said this, in the middle of all his suffering. He said, I made a covenant in my eye, with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. So take, you know, whether you're a guy or a girl, just you know, write it the way you would write it, but make a decision tonight. I'm gonna live differently. I've heard it said, but I'm gonna go with what Jesus says. Make that decision tonight. The next one is friends. Remember how the first, the first lesson we talked about, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. We talked about how we need to be salt, not salty, but salt. We need to be salt, not salty, but we need to be salt for the conversations in your friend group. A very convicting verse. I believe it should be convicting to a lot of Christians. It's been, been convicting to me at different points in my life. Ephesians 5. Among you, there must not be even a hint. Say hint. Whisper it like it's a hint. Hint. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. What conversations do you allow to happen in your presence? When you're in the locker room after practice and, 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 and the guys are talking about this girl and this girl and this girl, or you're in the locker room after practice and the girls are talking about this guy and this guy and this guy in, in a way that is not God-honoring, in a way that is sinful, in a way that is lustful, do you stick around? Do you contribute the conversation? Or are you salt and redirect the conversation? By the way, as we're talking about friends, I just want to say refuel should be a place that's different. It should be a place where people that come in are respected, where they're viewed the way that God sees them, not the way the world sees them, and a place where people feel comfortable. And maybe if you're struggling and we're talking about friends, know that we're here. If you need to reach out to somebody tonight, find help. You're not alone. Fourth F word is filter. Filter what has access to your life. This is where Jesus' advice, we can apply it in a correct way jesus isn't saying get your whip out your pocket knife and and gouge your eye out or cut your arm off like you're on like the walking dead or something what jesus is saying here is remove the things that make it easy for you to sin in this area so maybe to apply it in a 2020 understanding there's some things we need to physically remove that might mean charging your phone in a public area not next to your bed That might mean sharing a Netflix profile with your parents so you can be held accountable for what you watch. I know that's a pretty drastic step, but Jesus tells us to take drastic steps. Maybe that means filtering your media by reviewing movies and shows before you watch them to see what's in there. Maybe it means to stop following TikTok and Instagram accounts that occasionally share suggestive, suggestive material. Own the algorithm. You know how this works, right? The more you watch of something, the more you see of something. Own the algorithm. The final thing, forgiveness. Accept forgiveness of Jesus. This is a tough topic. This hits us hard. This is something that many people struggle with, and we live in a world that feeds it. But it's not impossible to live clean in a dirty world. I wanna read this prayer from David and maybe this is a prayer that you need to pray tonight. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Say will. will. Do you see that in the word of God? Not, I might get clean. Not Hopefully it'll work. He's pre- praying to God. Purify me from sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You don't have to live soiled in a dirty world. You can be made clean. So we're a minute ahead of schedule. We're gonna get out a minute early. So I have a minute to allow y'all to spend some time with God. So bow your head and close your eyes. And I love it when we have these moments. There's not gonna be any music and it's not gonna be any kind of manipulation or anything. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, sit down, stand up, because this is, this is something very personal. But I want to ask you a few questions and give you the opportunity to pray about one of these areas. Maybe you have been pressured into doing something with your body that dishonors God and you need to flee. Here in a moment I want you to pray to give God that God will give you the strength to do that. Maybe you are in a group of friends that just the way they talk does not honor God. You need to go and pray to God that he'll give you wisdom to decide whether you can be a, an influence of light in that friend group or whether you need to back away. Maybe you need to make a covenant with your eyes and decide that there are some steps you're gonna take to guard yourself from lust. And then finally, if this has been an area of defeat for you, pray this prayer tonight. It's on the screen. You can peek at it if you need to. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I'm gonna give you a moment. Whichever of those prompts you need to obey in this quietness, do it in your heart with God. Let's pray together. Lord, I can't help but think of what powerful things you're willing to do with this group of people if we were to get right with you. Lord, I can't help but think of the power of a teen who's been forgiven. The power of a teen that's living in victory. We've heard a lot of things said about this issue, but Lord, your words just pierce through our hearts. God, I pray for students here tonight that they are pressured. Someone or something is pressuring them to do something they know goes against you. God, I pray that you'll give them the strength to stand and the strength to run like you've told us to do. God, I pray for Teens that are, that are struggling with friendships that are just that are, that are putting ideas and thoughts in their mind that are not godly. I pray that you'll give them wisdom about what to do with those friendships. God, I pray for students here tonight that are struggling with the shame of, uh, of what they've already done and what they've already looked at and what they've already thought. God, that they will come to you in repentance and confession and that you will bring this incredible understanding of peace and forgiveness and holiness in their lives as they confess their sins to you. God, I just, I can't even begin to think of what you would do, what you'd be willing to do with us if we got right with you, if we stayed right with you, and we dedicated our lives to living by your word. And we thank you that you forgive us We thank you that you wash us clean and that you're so faithful to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.